At Chiffy Lube, it's our job to make car care make sense with personalized service reviews that swap the car talk for straight talk so you know what your car is telling you and what to do about it. Where highly trained service technicians have your back, helping you take care of the small stuff before it becomes big stuff. Plus a full range of services from Pennzoil oil changes and tire rotations to filters, wipers, and more. We've got what your car needs so you're ready for whatever's next. Putting you in the driver's seat of car care, that's a job for Jiffy. Find a Pennzoil pouring service center near you at JiffyLube.com. What's up, everyone? This is the Go Along Podcast. Thank you so much for listening, for making this part of your morning, your evening, however, wherever you listen. Apple, Spotify, I greatly, greatly appreciate it. Also, be sure to sign up at golongtd.com for all of our training camp coverage. We've got a lot in store for you over the coming three, four weeks. No Jim Monas this episode. He is busy with the XFL, but I headed out to Buffalo Bills training camp at St. John Fisher University. That's right. They're a university now, not just a college. So a great time at Fisher. Was joined on this podcast with three of my good friends, Tim Graham of The Athletic, Jay Skursky of the Buffalo News, and Brian Moritz, who I used to work for at the Olean Times-Herald back in high school, uh, does a great job covering sports media at the Sports Media Guy website. He's the host of the Other 51 podcast and also is an associate professor and the director of online MA programs in sports journalism and digital journalism at St. Bonaventure University. So uh, we got to talk in about 13 seconds, naturally, you know, kind of a big topic when it comes to the Buffalo Bills. Thought we might spend 10, 15 minutes on it, and it ended up going for an hour or so. A lot of different angles, a lot of different fresh perspectives on how last season ended and how it may or may not trickle into this season, for better or worse. So without further ado, here is this episode live, 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 live from Genesee Brewing Company in downtown Rochester. Be sure to get on in there. Great beers. If you're not going to be at Hamburg here in Western New York, you might as well get on out there to Genesee. You can't go wrong with that Ruby Red Colch. Thanks, everyone. What's up, everyone? This is the Go Long Podcast on the road, ladies and gents. We're here at beautiful Genesee Brewing Company, downtown Rochester, for a a special podcast edition. I've got some familiar faces. We're, we're literally at a round table here, outside in the beer garden. It's uh, it's beautiful. Drinking a little Kolsch, a little 12 Horse, a little Jenny Cream. We've got an assortment of brews on tap here, but... To my left, I've got the one and only TG, Tim Graham. <laughs> We've got a video here, but we probably won't put up the video because we can't, we'd all be a little too tight. We'd be too tight if we put the video up, right? It'd be a little uncomfortable, Tim. Nuts to butts, you said. I did say, uh, I did say nuts that's to butts. a phrase <laughs> I haven't heard, but uh, it, it painted a picture, and I think we're fine just like this. Although, I... Get a few beers in you, who knows, you know? I'm comfortable enough in my sexuality that uh, if you needed to get closer, I wouldn't have a problem with it. Well, we'll see how the night goes, the day goes. All right. Um, Around the bend, we've got Brian Moritz, my former co-work, really my former boss at the Olean Times. What am I talking about, co-work? I was an intern and a good buddy. Good to see you, I have the the pleasure of saying I knew Ty Dunn when he was an intern. I knew Ty Dunn when he was sending – Homemade magazines to Chuck Pollock at the Olean Times Herald 
when he was writing Green Bay. It was either NFL previews or Packers previews. I forget, but he was you were sending them to Chuck for uh, for advice. And look at you now. Oh my God! I still <laughs> remember when Chuck wrote a letter back. Might have been a sixth or seventh grade like home and career project going there for the day. And I gave him my NFL draft preview, and uh, probably the mock draft was probably all out of whack. I, I, I don't even want to look back at that, but. Getting getting the, that letter back from Chuck was pretty awesome. He's he's the, he's the best. You should unearth that. That would be a great episode. Yeah, just yeah. to go back and look through it and uh, and have Bob McGinn on to go to reflect. <laughs> yes, on draft. Yeah. Bob can pull out his 2000 <laughs> NFL draft right. review and see which one was closer. Exactly. Yeah. Around the bend, there's my brother Austin. He he's here. He's probably not going to say anything, right? He's getting beer for the. Crew. Yeah, he's our. That's my duty. He's today. our beer mule. So when when we go like this, it just means we need. A, I'm gonna tell a, you, it's a cold, but it's actually a cream ale. So <laughs> as you get older, though, you have a, a newfound respect for the cream ale. I feel like it's something you make fun of for a while, and then you, you grow it, to appreciate. It just good. Yeah. Jay Skursky, good to see you, bud. Another, you've been there. Yeah, there. You know, peek at my yeah, well, for a second. We, yeah, we probably we could have done a better job setting this video up <laughs> if we were going to use video. Um, Jay, Buffalo News, Tim, The Athletic, two of the absolute best Buffalo Bills beat slash feature slash enterprise extraordinary writers that you'll that you'll read, that you'll find. Uh, good to see you, fellas. Thanks so much for coming on out. Yeah, thanks for having me. Maybe the two best as of yesterday. Yeah. Jason Wolf left. That's right. Yeah. So well, we need a good power ranking. Maybe we should just power rank the crew right now. Start at the bottom. Who's, <laughs> who's the worst, Tim? Who's the worst? Start at the oh, bottom. Well, uh, yeah, let's not do that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, training camp, you can pretty much, you know, figure out everything you need to know about the team. A lot's happening. A lot of hitting. A lot of 11 on 11. Not today. Actually, I'm being, uh, yeah, being glib. Not a lot, a lot happening, but it is, it, football's back, and that's awesome. They're you wearing know? those fancy hats, even, you know, yeah. like just to make sure that there's, you know, that they. <clears throat> what do you make of those? For those who don't know, there was these. Like Charles Lindbergh wore that when he flew the spirit <laughs> of St. Louis over to Paris, I think. I think I saw that on the movie Up, right? With that, uh, who's the traveler on Up, Ryan? What's his name? My name is Kevin. Right. Yes. Well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you're, you're, the brain is still inside of a skull and still going to jiggle around regardless on contact. But if you think it helps with concussions, then, you know, go for it. I think there's a weight element to it. Strengthens the neck. Maybe. I don't know. Remember those first few days of wearing a helmet? I think back to some of the, the stretches we even did in high school football. Like, remember also, like, you'd have a teammate, like, hold the back of your head and you had to push against it. Well, the best was when we... And then you'd have to go against the knee, right? Right. Yeah, we had to run a mile full pads. And meanwhile, you have guys that are not in shape. And they have to make it under 15 minutes. Yeah, oh, yeah. But hey... Run it again on that cinder track at Ellicottville, right? Which, uh, yeah, grass grew on the track. They they actually mowed our track. I don't know. They they mowed our track. That, That is a fact. I, I'm just trying to figure out which we, what we what we should talk about here with the Buffalo Bills. I mean, what direction to go. I, Tim, you've written a lot on the psychology of how in the hell you even move past an epic disaster, like 13 seconds. Um, how do you? Like, is, is that something that's going to 
carry over. I know it's cliche to think Man. anything can carry over one season to the next, and it's easy to poo-poo that, but we've seen it. Right, Seattle, Legion of Boom, interception at the one-yard line. I mean, that team kind of disintegrated from there, so it it can go. Or it can be like the San Antonio Spurs. They lose in epic fashion to the Heat, that Ray Allen corner three, and they, they use it for good. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways it can go, and I did a story where the premise was based on uh, being the loser in an all-time great game, and uh, of course, you don't you, know, you don't play boxing, so boxing's not a game. But I interviewed Thomas Hearns, uh, who lost uh, what a lot of people consider the greatest boxing match of all time, but uh, against Marvin Hagler. But you, you, he's always reminded of the fact that he lost. And you go to a autograph signing, as a lot of these guys do, and they put that picture in front of you of you, you know, getting getting starched by uh, in, in 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 Hearns's case, not really starched. I mean, the fact that he was he was still kind of they're all just out of gas both of them were um rajai davis who hit that dramatic home run for the cleveland indians in the 2016 world series game seven forces extra innings and they lose the game so one of maybe one of the greatest home runs of all time but he lost um you know i'm, I'm drawing a blankest oh uh the the guy who hit the shot see here i even i wrote the story and i've already <laughs> forgotten the guy's name uh the guy who hit the shot for kentucky with 2.1 seconds left on the clock before Christian Leitner makes one of the most, maybe the greatest shot in college basketball history for one of the greatest college basketball games in history. And I can't remember the guy's name. And I interviewed him two months ago. Uh, you're constantly reminded of this. Uh, the guy with the pick six for Oklahoma in that, in that uh, Fiesta Bowl yeah. that went into with Boise State and the Statue of Liberty. And they, they did an all-time ranking of the greatest college, football plays in college history or the past hundred years or something like that. And uh, this game had two of the top seven. You know, it was just crazy. And a lot of them never live it down. The only way to get past it is to be great. And really the, the, the guy uh, who had the best perspective, or I think the healthiest perspective if you're a Bills fan and you want to find something out of it was, was Hearn's who said, I don't even think about that fight. That was just one fight for me. I won championships. And I think he defended either won or defended his world championship 15 times and he beat hall of famers. And so he's like, that was just, that was just a loss. Uh, But to Rajai Davis, that's not a loss. And to Kentucky, that wasn't just a loss. I mean, that was as close as you'll ever get. And that does, uh, that is something. So the bills work in progress. They can, it can be something you don't ever remember, but they get, you have to be, you have to be great from here on out. I want Jay to chime in on this too. Do you, you know, they're, they're putting out that uniform front, right? Mm-hmm. That, I mean, instantly the day, it feels like the night of the game more so the next day it was, you know, very little explanation, a lot of execution will grow from this, you know, kind of pick and choose whatever we've heard from, Coaches and players pass that have lost just heartbreaking losses, but I mean that's that's been they're taking their cue from Sean McDermott. I feel like a lot of players and coaches and everybody involved with the team is kind of you know repeating that messaging and that they're going to grow from this and learn from this and et cetera, et cetera. Like, do do you believe that? Do you think that internally that anybody is a little worried that this uh, hangover could linger into twenty twenty two? Yeah. I haven't gotten that sense of the first couple of days at camp. I, I thought Dawson Knox today kind of put it 
in a good way when he said that, you know, that was only the divisional round, right? They they hadn't won anything had they won that game, right? You know, they they would have won the opportunity to have a, a home AFC championship game. And I think a lot of people, based on the way they had been playing at the end of the regular season and in the playoffs, liked their chances had they gotten there. But we saw what Cincinnati did in Kansas City, right? So there's no guarantee that the Bills win that game. There's no guarantee that they win the Super Bowl. So I thought that was a pretty good perspective in the sense that, yes, it was a great game. Yes, you know, it, to be a part of it is something I'm sure they'll remember forever. But ha- even had they won it, they hadn't won anything, right? They still had all of their goals are were, were still in front of them then, are still in front of them now. I don't know how much they're going to learn from it. To your point about the 13 seconds, and you've probably done – as much digging on that as anyone, you know, I don't know that it matters that we're ever going to hear exactly what happened. You know, what matters is how they apply it going forward. And and one thing that I do think that this team and this team's leaders have gone through that is new is they've sort of rode that roller coaster. Now, when you, when you think back to 2020, they really had almost no adversity other than Hale Murray. That was probably the only thing that went wrong that season. Right, they go thirteen and three, and they get to the AFC Championship game when probably not many people expected them to get there, and they got smacked. Right, they got smacked by Patrick Mahomes, but there was probably no crime in that. A lot of people thought they probably exceeded expectations that season. So, next, you know, the following year, twenty twenty one, the expectations are raised. You know, you've already reached the AFC Championship game. The next step inevitably has to be the Super Bowl, right? And this team was seven and five at a point. We were talking about them not maybe even making the playoffs and what a disappointment that was. And they, they sort of weathered that and they got through that and they were peaking at the right time. So what, you know, what do they take away from 13 seconds? What they say now really doesn't matter. What they say even on September 8th when they play the Rams and the games start to count kind of doesn't matter. I mean, what matters for this team now is what they do in January and potentially February. That's going to be the only time we know whether they're truly over it or, or not. You know, a lot has to happen between now and then, and namely they need to stay healthy. But this franchise has gotten to a point now where you don't want to say the regular season is, is an afterthought because the AFC is very competitive. But most people would expect that this is going to be a playoff team rather easily. And so if they get back to that stage, then how do they look in those biggest moments? Because it's not about – Miami in week three or, you know, the next time New England comes to town, it's about the playoffs and can Sean McDermott, number one, handle that spotlight. And, you know, then it rolls downhill from there. Can the team handle that spotlight as well? So well said. I mean, it's wild to watch a practice like we did today and see the meticulous detail that goes into everything. I mean, every drill, even players moving drill to drill. I mean, this is a coach who's obsessed with every detail and, March, April, May, June, I mean, year, year round. And then with everything on the line, with the season on the line to just have a meltdown like he had on the sideline, it's hard for me to still wrap my head around that. I just wonder how he's going to personally bounce back. Cause we're we're talking about a few playoff crushing losses in in, in a row. Um, I mean, feel anybody here, feel free to chime in. How did you know when Sean, you did a big story on Sean yourself, Jay, Mm -hmm. How do you think he responds to that? Does he does he let his ego get in the way? Does he does he think about this stuff? Like, man, when that when that moment comes up again in January, I got to be ready for it. 
I got to make sure everybody's on the same page. Whatever, whatever happened yeah. with the kickoff, whatever happened with those two defensive plays, I, I need to be the one who takes charge and gets it done. I mean, he thinks about it. He thinks about everything. I mean, there isn't a, I don't think there's a, anything that goes, through, you know, that doesn't cross his mind at some point. So I'm sure it's kept him up at night. I, I'm sure he is thinking about it. I mean, he's got, you know, a pretty good mentor in this, in Andy Reid. I mean, it was not a straight line for Andy Reid to become a Super Bowl champion, to become looked at as a, probably a future Hall of Fame coach and, and one of the better coaches in the league. They had to deal with a lot of failure in Philadelphia, right? And so, I mean, I, w- you know, I haven't asked Sean if he's placed a call to Andy Reid about that very topic specifically. It wouldn't surprise me if maybe in the course of their conversations, though, it came up. So, I mean, he's, he's seen it. He's seen from his mentor that it's not a straight line from point A to, you know, the mountaintop in the NFL. And that, you know, sometimes you've got to go through these things. So uh, I'm sure that he has taken meticulous notes. I'm sure he's relived the moment countless times in his brain. But again, you know, until that moment or a similar, very similar moment arises, we're not really going to truly know, you know, whether he he responds in the right fashion. Right. Nothing matters until the playoffs. I don't, you hate to say it. I mean, it almost sounds a bit arrogant, um, but I do think that this team where they are, they are, you know, pretty firmly established as the, not, not AFC favorites, if you will, but at least AFC East favorites, right? And that gets you into the playoffs and that's when it starts to matter. Even with the revelations with Zach Wilson, you're going to besmirch (laughs) the Jets like that. Any thoughts on Zach Wilson potentially uh, pursuing his mom's best friend, Tim? Uh, uh, I forgot. I really, I really, that was a curveball. I relationship yeah, expert. I was, uh, let's see. I, I was going to say, uh, no, I have no thoughts on Zach Wilson and the Jets, but I'm pursuing his best friend's mom. Yeah, I think I do. It, it's, uh, I think you might want that out of your quarterback, right? I mean, he's a gamer. Uh, he's, uh, nothing's, no task is too big. Um, there's a, you know, that, uh, He's going to get it done. Ballsy. Mentality. Ballsy. Yeah, he's calling a shot. And uh, I think that if that were to come up uh, at the Combine, uh, that is something where he might have moved up the chart. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's a lot of things. You know, I'm, we're thinking of maybe Jeff Ireland and his Des Bryant's mother question. Oh, yeah. uh, that was a knock. Uh, you know, uh, was your mother a prostitute was the, uh, the controversial uh, question. Uh, that was uh, that was asked of Des Bryant. Uh, I think that if Zach Wilson had had just mentioned that, and, and I, yeah, I, I think that that inc- improves his standing. I think there, I well, let me take this. I'm, I'm obviously being facetious, but I will say that <laughs> if that was told to all 32 teams, I can guarantee you that somewhere within the league, it would have improved his stock. Some team, some team out there, because we're dealing with really, you know, glorified yeah. gym, gym coaches. Oh, right? yeah. yeah. Uh, there is some team out there that would have said, you know what, I think I kind of like that. And then there would have been another scout to be like, are you serious? Be like, yeah, I think that's, uh, that says a lot about the guy. <laughs> I totally agree. I mean, Zach Wilson, some of the grumblings that you heard were, is he really one of the guys? I mean, that was a knock that I had heard on him from some scouts. Is he? You know, is he in that locker room ingratiating himself to the linemen, to the linebackers, to the DBs, to the equipment staff? Is he just kind of one of the guys? And some people are just unsure. It wasn't a total knock. Well, God, I mean, the players around the NFL sure seem to like that. <laughs> that, is, that uh, 
What about Delonte West? I mean, where we I forgot about that. Is yeah. there maybe a situation there? Well, but, we but wanna... he's the this would be this is the quarterback though, and he was marking yeah. his territory even on his high school team, right? It's true. He was just like this. Hey, this is my town. We really got off the rails there. Um, <laughs> you asked the question. I did. I, no, I, got, I got us off the rails. I really did. Tim, before we move on to any uh, nitty gritty, anything more on just, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like that was a, a game that we're going to be talking about and thinking about for a long, long time. I mean, you were there in Kansas City. It doesn't matter at all. Should we still be talking about it? Well... Yes and no. I agree with Jay that it's over and done with. Um, but I still think that people deserve some answers. And I'm also not, and you know me well enough, that I'm not one of those people who says I have a right to know. Like, I'm going to swing open the locker room door during the access period, and I'm going to say, I, you have to talk to me, or the people need to know the fans have a right. What do you tell the fans but when something, I think they have a right. When well, I, I don't mean blanket. I mean there are some yeah. people who want to get in the face of it, you know, and say, you know, want to overturn, you know, root through uh, <laughs> Stefan Diggs's locker stall, you know, and find out what's in there. Uh, but in this case, as egregious as it was, uh, yeah, I think an explanation is uh, is fair. I think an explanation is certainly in order. Um, but I think that uh, Sean McDermott has, has set this tone and that it's nobody else's business but ours, and he has a right to do that. I, I don't. I'm not offended by that. Um, but I also think that it takes the fans uh, for granted just to say that it's not. It's none of your business. Like this, we're like because people will get invested not only with their money but their emotions and uh, their time and everything that they put into it, their expectations. And then when something like that happens, to not be informed as to what happened is almost saying, well, you got to just, just show up for the games and we'll worry about the football. But even I, internally, I feel like there was questions left unanswered. I mean, from folks that I talked to, coaches, players, it was kind of business as usual the next day, the day after. And every it, it, part of it is the way – a season ends, right? I mean, you're not going to sit there and watch film of a playoff loss and meticulously break it down. Dawson Knox made that point when we talked. Like, it's not like a normal loss in the regular season where you're correcting mistakes, but I think there was still like an emptiness, like a, what, what the hell just happened? Like, I, I got the sense that people wanted answers and they didn't get those internally. So it's not, I mean, trust me, I want to know what the hell happened. I think the fans deserve to know what happened, but beyond that, coaches and players should know. And, well, it has to be it, You're either winning or you're learning. That's one of Sean McDermott's uh, favorite sayings. So they didn't win that night. So you don't just drop it just because there's no film to look at with your team the next day while they're while they're cleaning out their lockers. There has to be a meeting at some point to say this is what happened. This is how we're going to correct it. I think that would be good leadership, not in terms of. I'm not talking about the media or the fans. I'm talking about with your own players. Uh, this is how this this mistake will not happen again. Or hey, everybody. This is what can happen. This is what can happen if uh, you are too busy uh, jumping up and down on the sideline and smacking Josh Allen on the ass and telling him what a great pass that was when Josh Allen is telling you to get away and he wants to stare, give the, give the 100-mile stare uh, at, 
into the Arrowhead Stadium lower bowl because he knows Patrick Mahomes has 13 seconds while the coaching staff is elated and jumping up and down as though they're sitting in the in the in the in the 200 level. No, there was some I think loss of focus there. There's need there has to be a teachable moment. Otherwise, it's a, it's a it's a total uh, tragedy is not the right word, but it's a it's a total cluster if you just want to move on and say well you know things happened and uh that won't that can't happen again because what are the odds i I would add to this too that sean mcdermott is making a decision here to prioritize keeping things in-house to protect whoever it is he feels needs needs protecting uh to uh avoid uh finger pointing if you will right Or, or even the appearance of finger pointing whether that be at himself or Tyler Bass or Heath Farwell or Leslie Frazier, Levi Wallace, go down the list, right? All of the potential, you know, who screwed up here, right? You know, so those are all the candidates. And we don't, we don't know that answer necessarily. And we don't, the reason we don't know that answer is because Sean McDermott has prioritized that we don't know that answer. He has decided that he wants to bear the brunt of this criticism and use the word execution, knowing full well that, that is coming at a significant, significant pushback uh, from a certain segment of the fan base who does feel that they deserve or want that answer, right? It's not every fan, right? I've heard from plenty of fans on Twitter who say, well, he's within his rights to keep it within the team, sure. and yeah. we don't need I would say we don't need that answer. social media <laughs> feedback to me, I would think it's a majority of fans that are saying, leave it alone. Yeah. We don't, yeah. We don't yeah. care anymore because, because we don't want to be reminded of – because yeah. it hurts, but the, you know, but, there so they, are, but there are still enough that do want that answer too, right? And that is probably I'm guessing in my mind is maybe a little bit more of the silent majority in this case who feel like they deserve an answer. And Sean McDermott is not giving that giving that to them to them, and he I think is smart enough to realize that that ha- that comes with a cost, right? That when you when you lose fan support and it can happen quickly. It doesn't have to it, – it's not like a snowball rolling down the hill and it takes a long time to get to the bottom. Like, when you lose fan support, it can go south in a hurry. Ask Rex Ryan, right? One of the things that Bass. I think failed Rex Ryan is that he never connected with the fans. He never connected – and not to toot our own horn here, but he didn't make any friends in the media. And that matters somewhat, right? That matters because that is the perception of these guys. And when you lose that fan support – it's not something that you want to do. And I think that Sean McDermott is smart enough to realize that, but he has prioritized, you know, protecting whoever it is at one bills drive that he wants, that he feels needs to protect versus knowing full well, Hey, there's a, there's a segment of fans out there, however big it may be, that is pretty darn pissed off that they don't have an answer as to what happened in this game. And I'm not going to give it to them. And he has to, he has to accept that he has to, and he's, he, I guess has determined that that's worth it that that's worth knowing full well that, hey, I, I've upset a lot of my fans here by giving them nothing. When I've, when I've been asked repeatedly, give us something on what the heck happened here. How did this fail so spectacularly? And he's not giving it to them. It doesn't help that you have maybe the best player in the NFL in Josh Allen. We'll see how this shakes out. I mean, that night he was unstoppable. Would you have a talent like that who played – like that, and now you're talking four out of the last five years, just some really tough playoff losses. At some point, the pressure builds. 
I mean, this season's on Sean McDermott, in my opinion. I mean, he's – and it's, how, it's about January. It's about the playoffs. It's about him rising to that, that moment that he wasn't able to. Well, this is a weird new spot for them. To be the Super Bowl favorite for a team that didn't get out of the divisional round last year is odd. I can't think of a scenario. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I, I'm sure that you could probably find out <laughs> whether that's ever been the case, but I'd be willing to happen or willing to bet that it can't be too often that a team goes into the season as the, as the Vegas favorites for the Super Bowl that didn't and, uh, advance to the Super Bowl, didn't even advance to the conference championship. It's pretty crazy when you think about it that way. There's probably some Patriots teams during the Brady era, but, they had already won by mm-hmm. the time they'd won four Super They were proven, Bowls. right? Yeah. They were proven. Uh, so they were just, you penciled them in as the favorite for mm-hmm. you know, 15 straight years. Uh, I, I, I think what it boils down to is that Sean McDermott isn't going to reveal any information. He is just averse to doing anything. Unless, it, it doesn't help his team win, win a football game to talk about what happened in 13 seconds. So he's not going to do it. But it just popped into my head. I, I, I don't know. I guess because I was thinking of the Music City Miracle and how Daryl Porter, uh, he was the guy who was supposed to be in coverage down that right sideline, and he blew his uh, containment because, you know, the play went to the totally opposite side, and that's the whole purpose of that of that play is to build leverage onto the left side and break it to the right. Um, I'm doing it from the defensive side, yeah. not, not the, not the <laughs> Titan side. And, um, and Daryl Porter came back. He was the scapegoat, yes. He came back to that team in 2000. Uh, but uh, Bruce DeHaven, one of the all-time great, special teams coordinators was gone. And so that lead me, led me to think one more thought of what would this be like if this had happened and Ralph Wilson were still the owner? Do you think we'd know what happened in 13 seconds? How many people would have lost their jobs? I mean, because yeah. it wouldn't, he didn't, or, or he would have forced, you know, all right. Cause that's what he used to do. You know, he would even go to Marv Levy at times and say, you have to fire this assistant and Marv would do it, or Wade Phillips would do it, or whatever. I don't know. I'm just an interesting thought. But that's kind of what uh, I'm getting uh, at with Josh Allen's talent Ralph, level. But it, there are a lot of owners out there that would see 13 seconds and probably not say, Sean, we still have perfect, you know, we have right. total faith in you. And I'm not saying that the Bulls necessarily do. Maybe they've got, maybe, you know, have one eye open uh, or uh, one, one eyebrow raised, uh, looking side eye at Sean McDermott for the next screw up. But, um, but it's just, I, it just made me think how different owners would handle 13 seconds. If you were to go around the league and say, how yeah. would Jerry Jones handle 13 seconds? Yeah. How would Mark Davis handle 13 seconds? How would John Mara? And just wonder if that coach would even still be back. So, I mean, because that Bills team was right or wrong. That's by... not to say that one was not, I'm just saying it's just how. I agree. No, it's, but, but that you had the Flutie Johnson, you know, debate that in, but here you have Josh Allen, you have, a MVP candidate, like you have a, a window of, of opportunity to win the Super Bowl every year as long as he's playing like this. It should, it, it should, you know, crank up the uh, the heat on seats. Yeah, for, that's for where, and that's where you hear the, you know, the people want to ask, is it Super Bowl or bust? And the and the, the pushback is no, it's not or bust uh, because you know you don't want that pressure, you don't want that expectation too, and also even as a fan, you don't want to be you're setting yourself to probably be disappointed because uh, the Bills are the Super Bowl favorites right now to win the Super Bowl, betting-wise and based on various analytics. The ESPN football percentage index, for instance, has the Bills as the favorites (coughs) to win the Super Bowl with a likelihood of (laughs) 6.9%. So 
you can talk about them being the best team in football and they, yes, they're the favorite, but they still have uh, the, the odds are they are chances are they are not going to win the Super Bowl. However, where the, so the or bust part that comes into me is like you say, that window of Stefan Diggs and Von Miller and the guys who are, are losing a third of a step a year or whatever it's going to be, uh, or you're going to lose them to free agency. What a missed that every time you don't, it's a missed opportunity that you're now thinking of shit. Um, who's our next quarterback going to be? And is, are we going to go through darkness again? Uh, are we going to have to win the lottery back to back like the Packers? I mean, it's, it's the, it's, that's where it gets depressing. I think to think like even, that you want to you want to tell the fans it's not Super Bowl or bust, but it really is every year that Josh Allen is still the this Josh Allen. And not to get too into the weeds, but it, you know Allen's contract really kicks in next year, where it, the, the cap becomes even more of a challenge. So that I think that is a not the, not the biggest factor in all this, but it is at least a factor when you look at this year and how they've managed to juggle the salary cap. That's not going to get you know unless we see you know, more growth in the cap than maybe even what we're expecting. It's not going to get that much easier for Brandon Bean because that, that big money kicks in and he's done a nice job navigating it so far. But, you know, we're seeing right now with Jordan Poyer and, you know, what, what's going on there that, you know, eventually that line in the sand gets drawn somewhere. So, man, I, I really don't want to take a hard turn away from this subject, but you bring up Jordan Poyer. The defense usually suffers too in these yeah. situations. I recall doing a deep dive on it, and I'll be honest, I, I can't. I'm, I'm going to have trouble pulling out some particulars. But it was when Seattle was playing Denver in the Super Bowl. Uh, that was the New York Super Bowl, right at the Meadowlands. Mm-hmm. And I did a deep dive on defenses, all-time great defenses. And you talk about the Legion of Boom, the Purple People Eaters, the Killer Bees. Think of all the great defenses that Monsters of the Midway, the Bears, the 46D. They don't win a lot of Super Bowls back-to-back. They can win one. They usually win one. Uh, but it's hard to keep a defense, a great defense together because of how much money you have to commit to the offense. And you just – and I think teams obviously are, are too unwilling to scrimp on a quarterback. The, the 2001 Baltimore Ravens, or was it 2000, whatever it was, that all-time great defense. Any all-time great defense, they almost never repeat and you could take a look at the Steel Curtain. Yeah, they won four Super Bowls, but they also Broncos. had they also had seven Hall of Famers on offense. You know, so they, you, you remove that. That's an that's an outlier. But yeah, any legendary defense. Now, I'm not saying that the Bills are legendary in defense, but it just goes to show as, as generally what happens is when you have that quarterback, which is the missing piece, the first thing that falls apart is your defense. And they keep drafting D linemen that are just kind of okay. So that you go out and you. Avon Miller. Yeah. And that was the thing, but it was, that was a, and I guess that was my second point because Russell Wilson was on his rookie contract at that time. So then Russell Wilson obviously is great. Well, what, what gives, what gives? And you, so then you got all this money tied up with your quarterback. Therefore you have to have money tied up in the weapons and the, and the, and to protect your investment with your offensive line. And now you're in shootouts. I want to get Brian's perspective. We got to bring you in here. Uh, Introduce yourself too. Uh, 
journalism connoisseur professor. Connoisseur, that's what we're going with. <laughs> bon vivant. Ooh, I like bon that. Bon that Savant. Savant. Saint Bonaventure University, remote yep. from here in Rochester. Right. So, but a big Bills fan. Big so Bills I, fan. we got to so, get your perspective. So on this. I, uh, I, I will apologize to Tyler on the podcast saying that I don't do Bills Twitter. I, I love it as a thing, but I just, for my own sanity, I don't do it during games so i just text tyler everything that i would tweet <laughs> so sometimes he writes back and sometimes he doesn't um like a true friend yeah sorry right? um but so like i was thinking back to third uh, before today so i was thinking back to that night in 13 seconds and like so i'm 44 so i grew up like with the 90s teams and and, and all of that and you know i i i for me 13 seconds hurt but it wasn't a crushing loss and we were talking about this a little bit before we hit record and that you know it was a fantastic game it was fun to watch like it was you know having been through that drought and watched a lot of really bad to you know bad to you know middling football to be in a game like that was just watching your team be in in a game like that was awesome and it was fun and you know it, it, it you know once once they kicked the field goal, once Bucker kicked that field goal, I'm like, well, it's done. Like, you know, because then it's a coin flip and, and all of that. And, you know, I wasn't, you know, some of my students who are Bills, who are younger, obviously, and are Bills fans, like, this is their wide right. Like, this is their crushing loss. And I'm and I'm a little more, you know, I'm older now, so it, it doesn't crush me as much. Like, so it's an all-time game. It was a fantastic experience for any longtime Bills fan. Like, if you went through the 2000s and the 2010s, it was so it was weirdly awesome to be kind of like relevant again and like not just in the playoffs but then you lose a terrible game or you know you make a surprise run and and so you know i think there is something to the point jay was making earlier of you know you move on from it like you know you would hope that there's an internal thing that they learn from and they talked about and they break it down in-house but at some at the other point i think we were talking about this before we hit record it was the hey the greatest, the best quarterback in the NFL, an all-timer, makes two great, amazing throws, and they kick a long field goal, and then you know the overtime. So it's almost kind of like a, you know, you know, yeah, yeah, they blew it, but on the other hand, well, credit to Mahomes, and you know, an all-timer makes an all-time play. Um, you know, I think one of the things is you got the difference being you've got the quarterback, right? You've got Josh Allen, who is, you know. MVP can't, you know, you, I don't worry as a fan. I don't worry about the offense. You know, I have some concerns about the defense or about the lines. But, like, ever since the Tampa Bay game, when they kind of let that second half of the Tampa Bay game, I feel like for me, wa- watching the team, that was the turning point where they're just like, okay, Josh is the guy. We're going to ride him and just let him be Josh. And that works because he's such a singular talent on it. One thing I kind of find interesting, and I'm going to throw on my, my journalism professor hat on this one to think about it, but – you know, locally, you know, with the local media and the people who are based in Buffalo, obviously the story and the narrative coming into the season is the obvious 13 seconds. How do you overcome that? How do you overcome this this one chance that you had to maybe host the AFC championship game? You think you're going to win, clears the path, and that's the narrative locally. But looking at it nationally, I don't get the sense that there's a lot of negative press around Buffalo. Like, it seems like the narrative is Buffalo was in this all-time great game and kind of got screwed by the overtime rules like there's the 13 seconds part but that's more locally and the national narrative seems to be a lot more like hey josh allen's for real and he's the mvp and the bills are really good 
And so I, I am interested to see how that portrays out. And I'd love to get your guys' thoughts on it as kind of from the, you know, when when they go to L.A., when they go to my, I'm looking at the schedule on Tim's Media Guide here, when they go to each city on that, is the story that weekend going to be, hey, the Bills were 13 seconds away from the Super Bowl. In Kansas City, obviously, probably, you know, that will be. But in the other ones, is it going to be the Bills blew 13 seconds or is it going to be this team on the rise and this new team that's poised to take over? I... I think it. I think they're gonna get. They're gonna get sick of answering questions about 13 seconds, understandably so. And I think the local media is gonna bear the brunt of that, even when it's not the local media doing the asking. Right. I mean, how many primetime games do they have? Five, six, something like that. It's it's a lot. And in every one of those production meetings, uh, they're gonna be asked some version of that question. And Sean McDermott is still gonna do a out of town conference call with the, uh, you know, the Miami media, the Jets media, the Patriots media. And I would be willing to bet, at least early in the season, uh, maybe say the first half, that that some variation of that question is going to be asked. Yeah. Now the players, you know, they're going to get it from the national media as well. They don't they don't do the conference call with the the local media the way they used to. But I think 13 seconds is going to be a topic. I, I definitely do. And I, like I said, I definitely think that we're going to pay the price for that, yeah. even though it's not us asking the question because we've asked it until we're blue in the face every which way we possibly can. Um, but I don't see how it's not a topic. I, I do think more – maybe I'm wrong. It's interesting to hear your perspective on that. But I think that's going to be as much of a topic as, hey, the Bills are really great and Josh Allen's really great and this team might make the Super Bowl. Do you guys think – and a, a, a genuine question. I'm not setting you up here. A genuine question. Do you guys think – and Ty, I'll include you on this one. If McDermott came out tomorrow at camp and said – 13 seconds, yeah. I kicked it into the end zone because I didn't want Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill had just burned us on a long play, and I was scared of, of that, and I liked our chances. And he gave an explanation on it. Does the story die? I, th- I think it comes a lot closer to dying. Okay. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but, I mean, that that is sort of the, the, you know, the question that everyone's hanging on is what happened. And as we talked about earlier, there has been no real meaningful explanation, at least from the head coach. So I do think that the story – I, I wouldn't say it would die, but I would say that there would be some clarity there. And the topic wouldn't be uh, when Mike Tirico on Thursday night in the season opener is talking about this Bills team that comes in with so much to prove because of this epic meltdown in 13 seconds, they'd be able to reference, here's what the head coach said went wrong. So I do think that the topic, if it doesn't die, at least it gets moved on from quicker. The story would pivot. I don't it would it would stay on uh, it would it would be ongoing, but it would pivot. I think, and it depends on who's at fault, uh, because every time it was mentioned, depending on who was at fault or thrown under the bus, maybe not at fault, but scapegoated. I mean, I'm, I'm not to say that you know Sean McDermott is a disingenuous guy, but however they decide, if they in in this rhetorical um, circumstance, how how it would all unfold. Um, then you'd have that guy shown on the sideline, right? As he's pacing, as the game's going on, be like, ah, and there's Tyler Bass. He didn't hear the coach when he, or whatever, like, and maybe that's what it was. And you got to protect Tyler Bass because he's a young kicker with a big leg and he's not, he's not so locked in mentally that you can just, so you just can forget about him uh, ever uh, missing a clutch kick ever again. I mean, you don't want your young kicker yeah. with the rocket leg to get, to get the yips, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so there, there's that part of it. 
Uh, but I, and here's the thing, I use this as my lead for the story when I mentioned how this 13 seconds is going to keep coming up again and you're and and people are going to view this as an all-time great game, but the Bills are going to constantly be reminded that they lost it, um, is that that game at the NFL owners meetings was used uh, at the opening night gathering where everybody's there, whoever's in your traveling party, coaches, coaches, wives, GM, the GM's wife and the front office and your scouts and your whoever you have there with you. Um, everybody's there with a the reception and the commissioner speaks and they play a hype video. And what was the highlight of the hype video? Chiefs bills. And they got to see it over again. And then they played it in Spanish and then they played it in Japanese, and then they played it in all these different ways because they're showing off this is how big the NFL is, and look at isn't this a great game? And then after a while, people start shooting, you know, glances over at the Bills contingent, like, hey man, sorry. Um, but the rest of the league, NFL Network, ESPN, the casual sports fan looks at that as a great freaking game, and so uh, so I think that that is why in Buffalo you have a more of a focus on 13 seconds, whereas nationally the bills are viewed as the upstart and people like the plucky uh, smaller market. This, you know, one of the bills are one of those teams that you hear that's in that, you know, the league is better off when Buffalo's good and, and those types of things. And, and I think this is the networks embracing bills, mafia smashing through tables. So, you know, like all that wacky stuff that goes on the, the quirkiness of it because they don't people, nobody's tired of it. So that all plays into this big stew from the national perspective of everybody's all in on the bills. They have the, the superstar quarterback who can be included in the uh, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes golf match. You know, he's the only one without an MVP, uh, but he certainly belonged. He's the guy who probably, and this is me speaking, probably is the Madden cover guy. If Madden didn't happen to die in the past year, I mean, Josh Allen is that big of a deal, jersey sales, all that stuff, the Bills, Super Bowl favorites, et cetera. So I think that everybody's <laughs> latching on on this opportunity because this is kind of new and cool and, and kind of hip. The Bills are hip. And uh, because they're not the tired-ass Cowboys and the Steelers and whatever. So I think that everybody's looking at how fun these Bills are whereas the people and the Bills fans are, are into that too, but 13 seconds means way more. And, and even if, even if, into your question, Brian, even if he did give an answer uh, to what happened to 13 seconds, then it becomes, well, it's motivation for getting, getting past that and now getting the job done. So I don't think it, I don't think it ever completely goes away. I feel like he'd almost, it almost breathes life into it all again. And it, but where I think he made the mistake is, Right in the moment, like that's such a fragile moment, those 48 hours after a game like that, where, I mean, livelihoods could have changed if you win that game. I mean, people could have made a lot of money if they didn't screw up at the end of that game. Um, Probably the time to do it is the combine, right? You got everybody talking about the draft. People have have digested it a little bit. The sting is gone. Yeah. You're still talking about the draft. That would have been a good I mean, in the the grand scheme of things, if you're looking at this from a PR standpoint, but in the moment, you don't. You certainly don't feel like it. When you're going into the combine, you're not calculating. All right, guys, this is the time when we gotta rip rip the bandaid off and go ahead and do it. Uh, you still don't want to because it's it's just against your human nature to want to talk about a failing. But I think that's the time. It's kind of slipped under the radar. Everybody's talking about the league. They're talking about who the number one pick's gonna be. 
the Super Bowl is still a glow on the Super Bowl. You got your free agents. I mean, there's just every so much going on. It's, it's kind of that, and you just kind of slide. Yeah, forward. you just kind of slide it through, and then here's your mini camp, and it's all everything's new again. I know it. You're absolutely right. But it's, I don't know if that's true. That's just a thought. Is, no. I, is that the time to do it? If you're going to do it, or do you you say? Yes, you, Brian. Brian. Or is that? Tim, enjoy my beer. I shall. We, we're both a fight or, do you, or do you it's do it man. right after? I, I don't know, like right after, but I think that when you wrap up the season with that press conference, that would have been a good opportunity to just something beyond. Maybe, teams are still playing. The Super Bowls, you still got the Super Bowl ahead. It's true. People are distracted. You could because the nation's not looking at the Buffalo Bills wrap up news conference. They're get, they're getting ready to talk about Chiefs, Bengals, ready, ready and uh, Rams. Who? What was that? Buccaneers. 49ers, right? 49ers. 49ers. That's right. I'm more so There's thinking still of the football to be played and bets to make and talking about props yeah. and you might be right. I'm more so thinking of like the the coach that I talked to who felt like things just abruptly ended and it was strange and forget and publicly, privately it was weird. Yeah, you know, for the next 24 to 48 hours for things to just kind of be bleh, right. nothing I, and everybody I, goes home and. Uh, something, that, something though. beyond execution. I mean, we hear execution in the yeah. media. We've covered the game long enough. You hear that word, oh, and that means. I mean, it's a, I, to me, it, I don't know. I mean, the player. I, to me, it blames the player. Like I did everything right as a coach. It was the execution on the field that went awry, and it's a, uh, it's blaming the player, but without blaming the player. To your point, if Tyler Bass did something, Levi. I mean, I talked to Levi Wallace. He he took accountability. He said, man, I should have looked behind me and saw where Jordan Poyer was and adjusted my alignment. But that's where he was supposed to line up. He, he could have said miscommunication. And he, could, he could have. You know, I've, I feel like he took more accountability in a conversation at Primanti Brothers. No, I'm than, ta- I'm t- not, not Levi Wallace. I'm talking about Sean McDermott. Right. He's, he chose the word execution. He did. He could have said other words. But, yeah, execution. But Jay's right. It's, it's ambiguous enough that it gives cover to anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could be anything. You could you could make the case that it's uh, the execution of the play call, right, from a coach uh, or. True. I, but I know the I execution agree. of the communication. Right, I agree with you by and large. When you hear execution, you ultimately, I think, if you're a se- you don't even have to be a season reporter. But I think we've been around long enough to know that frequently when you hear that, that's kind of cover for hey, the player screwed up. I, and but that's not to say that this is what yeah. happened here. But the special I, teams coordinator is not there anymore, and people in that kickoff coverage. We're expecting a split. Let's look at the let's look at the circumstantial evidence, right? The, the video of the guys walking off the field, kind of going, "What what happened here?" Mm-hmm. The, the fact that the special teams coordinator, a top ten special teams, right, last year, uh, is no longer here. How often does a, a guy, you know, a coordinator, his unit finish in the top ten and then doesn't return, right? So, what's the reasoning for that? I will say though that the idea of the people kind of left wondering what happened in. I mean, you know how the way that these seasons end, right? You've got 65 players or maybe even 68 with it, with the practice squad somewhere in there. And all 68 of those guys are taking exit physicals and making their plane flights and getting out of there. And so I do think that, like, while some people may be wondering what happened, I do think that the nature of the way that NFL seasons end and just the – shocking way that that game went maybe left people scratching their heads but i don't know that necessarily that the way that the season ended is any different than any other season ended. you know what i mean in in the sense that you know 
it's a mad dash for those guys to go their separate ways when the season ends. Yeah. You know, this is a point I want it not it doesn't really feather into that, but I, w- I wish I would have mentioned it when Brian was still here while we were uh, while we were dealing with our technical difficulties. And then I forgot. <laughs> Very rarely do we have technical difficulties on this podcast, too. That was really strange. There is a Hall of Fame Bills player who played in the wide right game. And his reaction after 13 seconds the next day, after after sleeping on it and waking up, saying it was the worst loss he has ever seen or experienced. (laughs) And And he... had some doozies. <laughs> and I thought, wow. A part of wide now, that right. Could be, he, said he was wide right? He was on the field. Well, I don't want to – he, he wasn't, wasn't necessarily on the field when Norwood okay. missed the kick. He played in the game. Yeah. And he's in the Hall of Fame. And so you can narrow that down to some legends. He's on the Wall of Fame. And he said that it was the worst he's – It was that was the worst loss. I think he may have said in franchise history. Oof. I, I think I, which is why we're still talking also, about it for But now. he also, yeah. and I'll just to give a little tone on that, he wasn't angry at anybody in particular. He just exactly, felt right. so awful. Like he was just so, the way it was snatched away. I don't know. He didn't want heads to roll or anything like that. I would like Brian's perspective on that too, because I think I understand what that point is, but I feel like it's hard to put 13 seconds above Music City Miracle, you know, home run throwback, whatever you want to call it, or wide right. <laughs> In the sense that those are band-aids being ripped off. In 13 seconds, you almost saw it coming. Like, right? Yeah. You, you, Josh you, Allen, I think, you, saw it coming. Once he completed that first pass, and they were at midfield with two timeouts, like, you kind of knew. And then they get the field goal, and it's like, okay, that comes down to a coin toss. And then, it, I mean, one, when the Chiefs won the toss, you, I mean, who, who didn't think it was over? Yeah, right? I think it's really the number one defense in the league. Get a stop. Josh get Allen's, Josh Allen's uh, visage, his, what, uh, the, his expression or lack of expression on the bench after throwing that touchdown pass with 13 seconds left yeah. is etched into my memory because he was not celebrating. And I do remember the quote after the game. Uh, some, it was asked, you know, what were you thinking? At, you know, that somebody was trying to capture the moment of, you know, what were you thinking after you completed that pass? And he says, what I was thinking is Patrick Mahomes has 13 seconds and two timeouts. Yeah. Uh, or did they have three timeouts? I think they had all three. I think, I think they had all three, and they only used two, but they only needed to use two. Right. Maybe. Uh, well, the Bills helped them. The Bills used them. Bill, I believe the Bills used both two timeouts. Before each snap, if I because they knew the Chiefs had them, and so it, it wasn't like either, either way team they was going to have a hard time stopping the clock. Right, I think both teams had all three timeouts. If I, if I don't, I don't have it, the game book in front of me, but I believe that's that's. What I want to say the Chiefs used a couple, and then maybe the Bills used one to ice Butker, and it didn't work. Yeah, I'm yeah, not I, sure. I, yeah, I'm not sure. Work. I uh, think the, Tim's point. Wrote, wrote all about it. Can't remember a damn. Thing. That's right. <laughs> no, the point there, though, is that Sean Woods. By the way, time. Sean Woods, the player for Kentucky. Uh, while we were experiencing technical <laughs> difficulties, I looked it up. Two point one seconds. Kentucky hit a layup, running layup. There was go. going to be a hero. The was going to the final four. That team that was coming out of uh, out of uh, Joe B. Hall's uh, NCAA violation suspension with their young coach Rick Pitino. And uh, 2.1 seconds away from going to the final four. 
the point about the bills and the timeouts. And I, the I was proud I remember that. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Is that there was enough time to communicate, right? And you mentioned really? number one defense to make a stop. And there has never been a more hollow number one defense ranking in my mind than the bills last year. I mean, they got absolutely waxed against the best quarterbacks that they played over the second half of the season. That was Brady and that was Mahomes. How about Matt Ryan? Right. Matt Ryan had his best game of the year against the bills. And and it's just, it's just a hollow, hollow, hollow ranking in my mind. And I know that sounds harsh and I know, you know, you don't have to apologize for the, you know, your schedule and all of that stuff, but, I agree with you. I mean, when you look at 13 seconds and they've got to go, whatever, 50 yards, you know, uh, the defense has got to come up. I mean, and that's why we saw the investment that you talked about earlier on the defensive line and the the seeming need to bring into a, a guy like Von Miller at the, at the salary that they're bringing him in because they felt like defensively they didn't get it done. And to invest that way and to rebuild the, the defensive line in the manner that they did – this offseason is not something you would expect from a defense that finished number one in the NFL. Hey, I, I love it. You might, you might as well keep swinging. If you can't draft the player that's going to make Patrick Mahomes run and sweat and, they've and make tried. a mistake, I mean, you might as well pay for him. They've spent first and second round picks on that defensive line. Rousseau, Basham, Epinesa, I think have all underwhelmed to this point, knowing that Epinesa, or well, excuse me, Rousseau and Basham are, are young, right? Only going into their second year, but uh, if if the Bills saw something really bright in Greg Rousseau, would they have paid Von Miller what they did? I don't know. I mean, they were thinking that you can unlock AJ that AJ Epinesa's on the verge of anyway, figuring it out. Right. Yeah, yeah. But even yeah, Basham too. I mean, and you had already been paying Jerry Hughes good money, Mario Addison good money, not not Hall of Fame money, but good money. And only the Chiefs had more money invested in the defensive line into last season. It's crazy, and, you th- and that's not even taking into account the defensive tackle right. position where you were paying Star big money, and now you know you you let him go. You don't re-sign Harrison Phillips. You turn over that position almost entirely, with the exception of Ed Oliver. Brandon Bean has he's done a lot of good things as GM. Number one on that list, of course, drafting Josh Allen, but he has not been able to get the defensive line right yet, and it's not for lack of trying because you just said what they spent on it, and in terms of draft capital, in terms of free agent dollars. They haven't gotten the production. They haven't gotten the return on investment they need there. All right, real quick, Jordan Poyer, what the hell is going to happen? I think based on listening to him, I thought he was as about as open and honest as a player can be in his situation on Sunday uh, on the first day of training camp. He sounded cautiously optimistic to me that something would get done. The fact that Drew Rosenhaus was there, Brandon Bean has mentioned several times that he uh, – he, he works well with Drew Rosenhaus. They've obviously done deals in the past. Um, I would expect that the Bills would be pushing for this to be a, a short-term extension, you know, a year or two at most. Uh, they've done that in the past with both of these guys, Hyde and Poyer, where they've extended them a year at a time. Uh, I think for both sides, that's the, the most likely outcome. I think that's the best-case scenario for the Bills, and it's probably close to the best case for Poyer. I think if Poyer wanted to chase money, he'd play out his deal knowing he's not going to get a Buffalo. If he wants to win, if he wants to be part of this, right, and is he at his career, he'd be well within his rights to chase money if that's what he wanted to do. But I think he's got to look at the the structure of the Bills' salary cap and know that 
I'm probably not getting three or four years on an extension. But if I want, you know, a, a nice boost in pay and I'm willing to go for a year or two, I think they could find a, a middle ground there. I just, we don't know what the defense looks like without Jordan Boyer, right? We, I, I think that's his leverage here. Okay. Well, I think go, his go, leverage go is Trudeau looks like. injury and losing Levi Wallace and the question mark of Kair Elam, who uh, there's no reason to think he won't be a really good player. Uh, but right now, that's where the leverage is. There is uncertainty. And Kair Elam, let's say he was going to start all 16 games this year anyway. Um, but with Tredavious White, probably not. I mean, odds are probably not ready to go at the start of the season. There's still some outside hope. But even if he is, I guess, healthy enough to play, you know, trying that ankle, uh, the, the knee out and, and being you know totally comfortable with it, all that stuff. Um there's still going to be this wonder of, but is he ready? Just because he's out there doesn't yeah. mean he's ready. Whereas Tredavious White was out there because he was ready. Ed Oliver was out there because he was ready. Uh, Greg Rousseau played because he was ready. But then Sean McDermott's got other guys who, if they're not ready, they don't play mm-hmm. as rookies, as top top pick rookies. But when it comes to Kair Elam, he's got to play, and whether he's ready or not. And so there's just got to be a, I think that that's where Jordan Poyer's leverage is, is striking now is the fact that you need, you're, you need, they need him now. If they're going to need him at the beginning of the season, probably more than they're going to need him in October yeah. or November. And that's, I'm not saying we're getting into where the games matter more. I'm not going to say they, they really need him in January, but what I'm getting at is that in terms of his financial leverage uh, is right now because they're, the bills are curious. They don't know. There's you don't know. You don't know what what's what's going to work in the secondary. Who you got? Who's good? Exactly. And so if it's not Poyer, then the next question becomes: Well, then where where does that line of the sand get drawn? Is it Dawson Knox? Right. He's going into his last year. He had nine what nine touchdown catches last year. Became a, a big part of too. The, you know, what's that? A few called back. Yeah, too. it became yeah. a big part of the offense. So somewhere that line gets drawn, and then you look at the not so distant future, and you've got Ed Oliver who's going to need a deal. And then you've got Gabe Davis. If he has the season that a lot of people are expecting that he can have, he's going to need a deal. So somewhere that line gets drawn. You could even go, I mean, I guess it's a fun conversation to have. It's a thought exercise. You can go with uh, who's the really great player right now that you wouldn't think of them getting rid of, but they might next year or the year after. You move on from Stephon Diggs. Edmonds. Do you move on from, I mean, start talking about your offensive linemen, maybe. Uh, I don't know, but you start talking about, we're talking about kind of like the guys who are, you know, well, Dawson Knox is a big one, Uh, but these guys who are kind of, you might need, you're going to start losing core players. I mean, think of super, Super Bowl teams or really good teams lose core players. Um, Especially when you have men's in Milano are perfect for that. Good guys, guys that play every play, right? Every snap they're out there. Good players. Are they great players? I don't know that you would say that about either of them despite Edmonds' Pro Bowl credentials here. I think most people would almost say that Milano deserved to be a Pro Bowler in a couple of those years over Edmonds, um, people that watch the team week in and week out. So, to me, I think the line the line starts there with one of those guys. I don't know that you're going to be able to pay two linebackers on that defense after you're already paying Miller and White. Poyer and Hyde are making above-average money for safety. I mean, you're paying a lot of guys. It's got to stop somewhere. He's got to, Jordan Poyer has a game that can age – really well because even if his athleticism with speed takes a hit he's smart 
He can play near the line of scrimmage. And give me that for three, four years over Tremaine Edmonds, an inside linebacker. I mean, teams start third, fourth rounders at inside linebacker all the time. I, I think that's even at Oliver. Even at I mean, I don't. I know people love Ed Oliver, but he'll make a splash play here and there. You really zero in in some of these critical moments, and he disappears. So. Well, and, and, him a lot of money? and is that the position that you pay, right? I mean, safety in this defense is pretty important. They yeah. tab those two guys to be, you know, they're, they've become the greatest safety tandem in history. I've gotten some pushback on that. I will fight to the death of the, that they are. The longevity and the durability that they've shown, I think, makes them easily the best safety tandem in history. And that's in team history, that is. Um, that's important. So, can you replace a middle linebacker? Can you replace a defensive tackle easier than you can replace one of those guys? It's an interesting question. I don't I don't necessarily know the answer, but I think for what they've meant to this defense, that's where it gets tricky, right, in free agency, because you know the whole idea you want to pay for future production, not past results. Um, and those other guys are younger. Edmonds and, and Oliver are younger, but Poyer's meant a lot to them. And I think Poyer's deal is easier to get done. I think he's a guy that wants to be here. I, I, yeah. I truly believe that. Maybe that's naive on my part, but I think they're, I think he'd be willing to find a middle ground with, those, with the team. I mean, just being a pro player guy when it comes to professional, I mean, these are the ones out there risking their lives and their brains. Like, part, part of me kind of selfishly, you know, just, just hold out like Jesse Bates. Mm-hmm. Like, just put a little pressure on the team. Let's make him sweat. But he's there, so he obviously wants to be there. Right, like he, he didn't. He didn't sound yesterday like a guy. He didn't that sound like a player who, yeah, a holdout of any sort, you know. And you wondered with what had you know he changed agents fairly recently to Rosenhaus, who everyone knows. Chris Rosenhaus might be more of a star than Jordan Poyer is, right? He's sashaying around the sideline. Yeah, like you know, people might know him over Jordan Poyer. I, I'd be willing to bet they did. Um, you know, what does that mean? But <laughs> between his know. agent and his wife, he's about the third <laughs> most popular guy in his in inner circle, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, I'd love to just sit here and BS with you guys all night, but I suppose you have stories to write. Or not. You just want to talk for another hour? <laughs> I have a hockey story beers. to write. <coughs> you do? Yep. Ooh. Coming off vacation, I need to clear my plate so I can start covering football. I like it. Yeah. What do you, can, you, can you tease anything here on the podcast? Yeah, I'm sure. A um, gentle tease of sorts. Yeah, it's a story on the 2005-2006 Buffalo Sabres and why it was able to generate so many leaders in the NHL who are still leading right now. And some who we haven't heard from yet who are considered uh, candidates to join the Mike Greer's and Chris Drury's and Brian Campbell's and uh, Daniel Breers, Jay McKee's fantastic story idea too. I like. There is no lot. tree either. There's no tree from that team. It's not like one. It's not like Sean McVay got hot and everybody started yeah. hiring everybody around him. The Darcy Regeer tree. There's no. Yeah. This is no Darcy. Or Lin, this is no Lindy Regeer tree. <laughs> but that yeah, that team sure. was fun as hell. As everybody listening to remember. leaders I mean, all over the place. You take a look at uh, how many captains were on that team, yeah. future, future and past, and it is staggering. In fact, I was rattling off to Jason Pominville, who was a captain. Um, later on in his career, and he just started laughing. He was like, I didn't even know. I didn't even know those guys. So the, the, he was a captain? Yeah, he was a captain. Because they kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, nobody expected shit from that team, and they just take the league by storm. So it's 
organically just kind of yeah, it was, well, that was where Darcy Beard does get credit is he identified a lot of these players as people he wanted on his team. And it was because they had these leadership traits, but they all went their separate ways and did their own path. But you know, Brian Campbell holds the same title right now with the Chicago Blackhawks as Scotty Bowman. Really? Yeah, senior advisor. He's like fourth on the masthead in hockey operations. But that's also what we call our 94-year-old grandfather in our fantasy football league. He's a senior advisor. <laughs> so, well, they, it's an important role. It is. That's right. Jay, anything uh, in the hopper you want to tease out there at the Buffalo News? No. No, I'm writing about Dawson Knox and wanting a new contract. Said he bought a house in Orchard Park, though. You don't buy yeah. a house if you don't expect to. Interesting comment maybe, there. Yeah. You know, it's that, an investment I, these days, though. Yeah, that's true. Western that's New York true. real estate. Yeah. Um, it's but I, true, did, yeah. I did think that that was uh, somewhat telling. I think that's a move that you make when you're reasonably sure you're in a place that you want to be and that maybe you have some inkling that, you know, they want you to be around, too. So, Well, we started the podcast with a nut-to-butt reference. That's kind of Dawson Knox just throwing the nuts right on the table, right? Hey, I'm here to stay. Kind of. You know, give me my deal. Maybe, Here's my house. Maybe he lost a little bit of negotiating power there when he said that, didn't he? <laughs> right? But we'll see. Yeah. All right, beautiful. Great to see you, fellas. You that was a lot of fun. Tim Graham, Athletic. Me. Jay Skirsky, Buffalo News. Austin Dunn, brother. Love to go along podcast. Oh, Thanks, everybody, for listening. Appreciate it.